Okay, so hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of the uh, Brain Curiosities podcast here with uh, Leah Mel. Am I pronouncing your name right or butchering it? Oh, no, you're right. It is Leah. Um, the Mel part of it, I know that that's very common. It's act- In my head, it's Malay, but that's only because um, it's actually a nickname that my fourth grade teacher gave me. So it's very obscure and I wouldn't expect anyone else to know that. That's perfectly fine. Uh, so we're here today to speak basically about ADHD in academia. So First of all, you have a huge account on TikTok and a huge one on Instagram as well. And you've been doing a lot of content on ADHD, right? Yes, that is correct. Where do you usually get your information? And, you know, where, when do you you get diagnosed? What is your story, basically? Yeah, of course. So I will kind of disclaim in general that I was not in, you know, um, in 2020-ish, when I started any of my social media accounts, it wasn't going to be ADHD. Let's talk about it because I, I didn't get diagnosed until recently. So um, social media has just kind of been a really great way to share my story um, as I found out more about myself. Um, so I just kind of got passively involved in social media back then, and I didn't get diagnosed until earlier this year, actually, in like May of 2023. And um, that entire experience was just kind of happenstance, um, where I feel like for a while, I thought, you know, oh, man, maybe I have a learning disability, maybe something's up. But I don't know the resources available to get tested. Maybe I'm wrong. And I just am dumb, you know, like, the the worst possible uh, outcome there and delaying diagnosis. Um, but I yeah, have yeah, a late yeah, night. Yeah, I relate to all of that very heavily. Right? <laughs> no. And you sit there and you're like, okay, what if I get diagnosed and I get helped versus what if I do all this testing and the people tell me, no, you're fine. You just, you suck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Been there. Yeah. So um, that was that was kind of the premise of it. So it was a very long process. I was lucky enough to be able to go and seek resources at my school where I was getting my, my doctorate at the time. Um, and it was really just a push after a conversation I had with my partner who I live with, Philip. And I was like, you know, I'm doubting myself today. I feel really stupid. Maybe I do have something wrong. And he was like, why not just go ask? I was like, okay, fine. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're logical. <laughs> yeah, but the, the answer is scary. Mm-hmm. No, it really right? is. It, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my story with it. And it was me more finding out um, a little bit more about myself and then feeling like maybe others relate to this. Maybe I can just share this information, more personal experiences. And that ended up being true. The amount of people who reached out and said, you inspired me to get diagnosed or like, oh my God that's part of it. And I'm like, according to my psychiatrist, it is. (laughs) So that's kind of how the whole content surrounding ADHD got started. All right. So you've had your information mainly from your psychiatrist, but uh, also papers you mentioned at the beginning of your diagnosis, right? So did you have any specific reading or you just went on PubMed and started, you know, whipping out (laughs) keywords and, and seeing what that was about? Uh, it was definitely the latter of going on to PubMed. Um, so yeah, as, as I mentioned, like I'm in grad or I was in grad school. I just finished, um, and so I think one of the best things you learn from the grad school experience, or the most harrowing, is how to use you know those databases to find 
particles, you know? Um, And so immediately after I was honestly, even a little bit before when I was thinking, could it be ADHD? I started reading just everything that I could um, just to gain an understanding of it. Because I think that while social media is really great about, you know, awareness and sharing experiences, there's still a lot of misinformation, um, you know, that people are saying not intentionally, but you know, it does get passed around. So I was trying to look at academic articles first general review papers um, just on the different rates of diagnoses and how it's kind of changing as we get you know more aware of the biases that we have whether that's in research or it's you know just societally um, so it was definitely a lot of like ADHD what is it <laughs> at first um, but I'm still curious about learning more you know so you're you you keep you know, reading and informing yourself, I'm, I'm betting, and not, not only through the psychiatrist and all of that. Um, but, okay, so you, you mentioned a lot of interesting stuff that, you know, I had a, this whole plan laid out, but actually we're going to go right into there now. So what, what are the biases that you found, you know, with your experience that you've had uh, with ADHD, because you're living with it and you've been living with it, you know, your whole life, uh, the diagnosis mm-hmm. is not, I, I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm going to diverge into parentheses, but whatever. A lot of people feel that when you're diagnosed, you get ADHD, but you've, you've been having that your whole life. When, you, when you're diagnosed, you just understand finally what's going on. Yes. Um, <laughs> so from that moment and from the, the reading of all the papers, what are the biggest biases that you found in the literature? Um, well, at least from my own personal experiences, it's exactly what you said, which is people immediately kind of started treating me a little bit differently if I disclosed that I was diagnosed. And I, that's a very personal thing that people can choose to do or not to do. But I have always been kind of an upfront, like, hey, everyone get on the same page. Let's all work on the same problem. And a lot of people didn't see it that way. Um, most of you know my colleagues that I talked to were very supportive because they're around, in and around my age. Um, and not saying it's a giant generational thing, but I think that ties in, you know, with a little bit of the biases that we do see um, just based on how society has shifted around, um, whether that be like mental health or like actually mental conditions that people have. Um, and so when I, I remember I disclosed to both of my bosses, um, so I had kind of like a dual advisor situation and both of them i think had really good intention of being like hey we're here to support you or like don't let this define who you are but it very much to me came (laughs) off as like you're trying to make your condition your entire personality like don't and they basically told me don't slack you know make sure that you don't use this as an excuse to do poorly or to put off work and i'm sitting here like I have I not just been here hustling for 27 years of my life um, without knowing what's wrong, thinking that I'm dumb, having difficulty with things. And now that I have answers and I feel confident, you're going to tell me that you're worried that I'm going to slack. Like, and, and going as far to getting a PhD, which is not a small feat for a lot of people, even neurotypicals, mm-hmm. while having undiagnosed ADHD. So it's, it's really not a comment that should have been made at all no not at all um so that was i mean in 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 and of itself that i think was the main sort of shock that i had because i had a pretty good relationship with both my advisors before like 
again, I'm very open about, you know, I struggled with anxiety. I struggled with depression. They've been really great about that. And then it was like this missing piece, which kind of ties into some of the biases and academia and like literature and diagnosis that we're seeing where, um, you know, ADHD can be the cause of your depression or your anxiety yeah, if they're not, absolutely. you know, just comorbidities, you know? And so when I finally found out that missing piece for me and I got the right treatment for me for ADHD, my anxiety was way less. My depression was way yep. less. And I was like, <laughs> yep. oh, it was just this thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the, at least in the literature, I think it, you mentioned in like the little list that you sent over, there is sometimes um, in general, when you look at different populations, there is selection bias for the populations that you're choosing to study. Um, and, you know, historically, especially with ADHD, you get a lot of the research and the things that are informing the diagnostic materials are no surprise based on white guys, because yeah. that was the and, focus and of everything. And children, no, yes. Even not adults. So there's there's not the whole masking part. There's not the whole, you know, growing up and being bullied and being told not to have those behaviors and have unhealthy coping mechanisms. Uh, exactly. That then present in a very, very different way than the undiagnosed children ADHD. And then yeah. the interaction with hormones that is a whole other mess. <laughs> it's a whole, it is. It's a whole other can of worms. And so I think that's one of the things that now at least we're like, moving towards like or moving towards addressing a little bit more because now yeah. you get even more studies saying like in the past people would say you grow out of adhd that's just like a behavioral thing. it's like no it's neurodevelopmental <laughs> this is a yeah. different way that our brains not only process but some of the neuroimaging scans even show that we have different brains like the different volumes of certain parts of your brains or different types of you know amounts of white matter they i can't go into super specifics because i'm not a brain person but i know that this is something that is not just it affects your behavior like this is something that is actually different in these individuals you know yeah absolutely i mean absolutely and so when you know you talked about your supervisor so what do you feel for example is a is a barrier of entry for ADHD people in academia, because uh, I feel that there is a pretty big barrier for general neurodivergent people in academia, because it's yes. it's a very harsh environment uh, by itself. So every, mm -hmm. everyone will be struggling with that. You know, low salaries. You have to move around a lot. The postdocs and the, the publisher or parish thing. The stress, the deadlines, the, all of that. So every everyone is stressed. I don't think I've ever seen a single researcher not having stress in my lab or in any other lab. Uh, but for people with ADHD or with, you know, with autism, other kind of neurodevelopmental disorders, it can be even worse. Yes, absolutely. Right? So and I, yeah. What do you think is done in that regard? Or how do you think ADHD can make that worse? Um, goodness. Yeah. I think in general, <laughs> like I'll give, I'll give an example, at least for me. Um, one of the things that I didn't really think of as being debilitating and was just, you know, putting off as, oh, dang, I'm just so forgetful or I, I just don't plan things well. So I would actually sit and, you know, you plan out whatever experiments you're going to do. You make a list of all the things that you need because you're trying to be efficient about it. And then I would go and be like, cool, I've got everything oh I need God. to do. Go to run the experiment. 
and would still be forgetting things, even though I wrote them down. Uh, and I'm taking the list with me places. And I'm like, okay, I need to grab this beaker and I need to grab this reagent, run into the room, say, okay, I'm good. I'm gonna go get started. Oh shoot, I forgot this. And it would take me yep. like 15 to 20 minutes just to get all the stuff together, even though I planned it in my head of everything I needed. Cause I just either was still moving too quickly and actually didn't think of everything or was grabbing things like one at a time from different places, but having to go back to the first place to also grab another thing. Like it was, it was so gross and horrible. Um, so I would, you would hear this door like open, close, open, close, like 12 times my poor colleagues as I'm going back and forth. Um, but that and keeping track of, at least for me, um, you know, with science, like you have to do dilutions or you have to like pipette, you know, over and over and over again, or you have to wash a plate three times. I would lose count and I'd be like, yeah. oh, shoot. I and like I would have to say to myself under my breath, like this is the second wash. This is the second wash over and over and over again until I got to the third one. Then this is the third wash. This is the third wash. So I think it's like it affected. I was not in that how kind of lab, fortunately. <laughs> It's okay. Um, but like, at least for science-based things, like this is a very, like, you need to kind of follow the recipe to get the final end product yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. thing. Of course. And so I wouldn't necessarily know. And I'm like, oh God, I'm documenting things as best I can, but it's, it's so much extra mental work for me. It's taking me longer to do things yeah. than my other colleagues. And I think I actually had a reputation in my lab and this is me speculating. Obviously everyone was very nice. Um, but I feel like everyone thought that I was disorganized and that I was lazy and it could have been projection on my part, but compared no, to the other grads, we're often students, very critical like, of ourselves a lot oh, more it's than another other horrible people quality. Are. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, more than other people are maybe not necessarily because we, we get that from somewhere, right? We're not just super critical by ourselves. It's mm -hmm. often stuff that we repeat to ourselves, but that we heard somewhere. So. Yeah. Oh, there's that. And I think that ADHD kind of plays into that a little bit too, because you see other people, like it's not a very visible out there, like everyone can tell you have ADHD sort of, you know, disability <laughs> that you have, right? It's okay. You just compare yourself to other people. You have no idea what what they're going through maybe they are neurotypical maybe they're not maybe they have other stuff going on but when you compare your own progress or your successes to other people who are functioning differently you that's i think where a lot of self like negativity comes from um yep. where you start to talk down to yourself you know and um so you you have mainly a an inattentive presentation right yes and about other barriers, something else that uh, maybe I, you know, I thought about, uh, what about the executive dysfunction? How about the paper writing and the review process? Uh, because that's been utter torture for me. Oh the, my God. the review I can't process, the editing, I, it's been physically painful. The editing part is physically painful. I, even at school, when I would write essays, I, I would not reread them. I would just give them as they were, because it was like, if there's mistake, there's mistakes. And there's, there's, I'm, I'm, because I, I could not bring myself to edit them. So for, for paper writing, for the thesis writing, that, that was the most horrible thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> oh, God, no, I relate to that. It's like, I would like writing because in my head, I'd be like, I can do it on my own time. I'm flexible. I have like the, you know, kind of procrastination blinders on a little bit for it. Um, I'll get to it eventually. But I agree with the editing. I would sit there. I'm like, 
it's like you tell me what I need to change and I can go and change it. That is like the first round of reviews that come back, at least they're solid questions they're asking. Let me add that in. Someone else edited though, unless I get in a super hyper focused state and then cool, we're going to edit through that paper in 10 minutes, you know? Um, at some point I've had my supervisor say, you know, you're close to being a scientist, so you should know what to edit. And that was utter torture for me to hear because it was like, I'm, you know, it's just never going to happen at this point. No, (laughs) but you know this about yourself. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I know it about myself. I I know I I hate editing from from day one, right? I Mm -hmm. said it from day one, I hate editing. Um, and, and if on top of that, I don't know precisely what I need to edit, it's just not going to happen it's yeah that's it no it's too abstract we need very like clear to-do list sort of things i find um and if we don't have that and we're left free it's like either too many like seven side projects are going on that are only like 10 percent done um or it's just not going to happen yeah and how did you find out about adhd how did you you know have the pressure to get diagnosed you said you were getting a lot of anxiety and depression uh, Hmm. but how did you find what you know what push did you seek the ADHD diagnosis specifically ah yeah that would be uh when you stay up super duper late and go down a rabbit hole on the internet that is exactly what happened um so after that conversation i had with philip um and i was like man i feel like i'm stupid i have a learning disability and he was like maybe oh like go God. and talk to someone about it i was like okay but i don't want to come empty handed i want to have like maybe i think these three things because of course I do. So I went and I like looked up different learning disabilities to see if any of them matched with my experiences. Cause it's yeah. like, I've been dealing with this forever. Right. Um, and none of them really fit. And I was like, mm. and then there was a little, little like sentence at the bottom of whatever website I was looking at might've been like Mayo clinic or something. And they were like, Hey, you know, sometimes people think they have a learning disability, but it's really just ADHD. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Hmm. Interesting. Tell me more about that. And then pulled up like this whole article and I was like, well, I'm not hyperactive. I've never been fidgety. I've never been like, eh, even thinking back to when I was a kid. And they were like, no, 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 there's an inattentive type. And I'm like, Ooh. oh, okay. And then everything was like, this, this is my life in an article. Let me learn more about it. Um, and so I did, I went to my student health and I specifically like said, hey, I did my research on this. I know that you're a medical professional and you will tell me yay or nay, but like, this is my logic. Can I get a diagnosis for this? And luckily my provider was like, yeah, absolutely. This is not uncommon to see here. Okay. So they, they were super nice and, you know, they listened and all of that. Yes. That's pretty great. Um, it's pretty I, lucky. Learned... I'm also at a school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's also true. Um, I also have the inattentive presentation. So when, when I, when I read the symptoms, I was like, mm, this hits a little bit too close to home. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I learned that the hyperactivity could be also mental, not only physical, because I would fidget quite a lot, but it's, it's not a very small movement. Uh, but then when they told me that the hyperactivity can also be mental, I was like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I, I, there might be something there. <laughs> It's the the steady stream of consciousness in your head. The, yeah, that's really fun uh, to deal with as <laughs> yes. well. But I've seen different TikToks like that people will make it's or exhausting. just reels or something. And they're like, just me going to get my coffee in the morning. There's 12 different thoughts bouncing around. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's basically this. 
And, and it's not either in a bad way. I, I've, I've come to enjoy that kind of hyperactivity because it makes me think about a ton of different things. It's just that when I need to do stuff, it's so hard, right? Yes. Um, I, I've seen the conferences of uh, Dr. Russell Barkley that has studied ADHD for, I think, 45 plus years. And he was saying, you know, ADHD is not a learning problem. It's a doing problem. You right. know the stuff that you need to do. It's just you cannot bring yourself to do it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when a lot of people say it's a problem of motivation, what guess what brain areas are affected? <laughs> What's yeah. about motivation? So that's yeah. that's also fun. Uh, it is. It so is. as you know, as further questions uh, for you is we're we're moving on more to the research part now because you've read some some papers about ADHD. I'm guessing you've read quite a bit about that. And you were mentioning about the selection bias at, at, at first about the boys mainly being studied for ADHD. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of bias does that bring now today with medical professionals that are trying to diagnose people? There, there's a lot of yeah. late diagnosed women, especially right now, because yes. this wasn't recognized before. Yeah, no, I think that's kind of hitting the nail the nail right on the head there. Um, so again, yeah, it was typically studied in, you know, adolescent boys, because when someone is, you know, being very hyperactive, they're fidgety, they're, um, you know, showing all of those symptoms, it does kind of draw attention, right? And it's not saying that women weren't or like girls and women weren't, you know, hyperactive, or that there aren't hyperactive people. Um, but in general, when you think, I think more about societal pressures where women are told to be smaller, they're reprimanded more for being loud when they're children. Like it's not ladylike, you have to be quiet, you have to be demure and all these things that even if people were very hyperactive when they were young girls, they weren't, you know, people weren't thinking twice about there's something wrong. They're just like, they're being rude. They're being, you know, yeah. wildly little people. Um, and so I, that's probably part of why you didn't see a lot of it getting studied beside the fact that everyone's like, oh, the, the little boys, we need to help the little boys. Um, but when you think about all of this, like when it was added to all the DSM criteria, it's not as like old as we think of it being. It's within, I want to say like the 1950s or so when it's like officially in there, maybe even as late as like the 70s or 80s. But um, as far as like these criteria and how they've been modified, but because all of these studies were done on little boys and specifically this hyperactive drive, you have a large number of women and girls who weren't diagnosed because they either didn't like present exactly with that hyperactivity or they were scolded when they did, or they had that more inattentive type presentation. And because that wasn't widely researched, we're still kind of learning more about it now even and learning how to you know ask the right questions of people because right now we don't have biomarkers where you can just be like let's scan your blood for this let's look at like these specific things uh to make diagnosis more accessible um so it really is questionnaires and like refining these questionnaires um to be more inclusive of those populations oh they're so not adhd friendly those questionnaires oh they're so long I wanted to ask every question with it depends. Right? Yep. Do, do, you li- do you like to go out and socialize? It depends. It's, you know, Maybe. is it a party with a lot of unknown people? Then no. Is it a small gathering with close friends? Then yeah, it's exactly. It depends. I don't know. It depends. What, what do you mean? <laughs> yup. Yeah. And the testing is long, like at least for my testing, because we did have like questionnaire things I had to fill out before. And then they had a memory thing that I had to go through. Oh, yes. Like, 
did I show you this photo? And I was like, yes, like my short-term memory is fine. Again, the learning aspect is fine. <laughs> my but, working memory uh, was horrible. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. My, my long-term and short-term memory were fine, but my working memory was horrible. The, the neuropsychologist was like, I'm going to tell you a short story and then you need to tell me the details back. And I was like, oh, easy peasy, right? I do this all the time. This is super easy. I start listening to the stories and, you know, my mind just starts drifting and I just stop paying attention. And she was like, oh, now tell me the details. And I was like, hmm, I'm, I'm sure it was a story about someone that was doing something. <laughs> oh my God. And she was That's like, so well, you, you, you know, you can't recall the details. I was like, no, I just, I, I just stopped listening midway into the story. Oh my God. That's so fun. And I do that so often yeah. too. It sucks. But, oh God. See, if they had asked me instead, like instead of photos, cause I'm like very visual, I can tell you photos, but yeah. if it was like audio processing. I don't learn people's names until I've seen your face and looked Same. at your face and it's been like, your name is Amy, like 12 times. Yeah, I don't until know I've said it several times. Yup. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. I'm horrible with names. <laughs> a, a lot of us have auditory processing issues as well, which makes, you know, the whole thing a, a lot harder. Uh, because if you, if you cope by reading stuff instead of listening to it, then that also might go unnoticed. Mm -hmm. and Absolutely. A, a lot of coping mechanism can just completely mask ADHD and ADHD diagnosis. Yeah, no, it's um, it's really rough. That was actually one of the questions that I got asked was like, oh, do you, are you constantly late to appointments? And I'm like, no, no, because I had to cope because I know I'm bad at that. So I have 12 calendars and 12 alarms. And they're like, yeah, okay. So technically, yes. I'm like, yes, but not now. Like I actually, I'm very on time to things now. <laughs> yeah, it, that was, you know, one of the next question. Do you think the diagnostic criteria and the way that the diagnosis made is adapted to people with ADHD and especially to adults with ADHD? And I think you've already more or less answered that, but let's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> let's dive in. Um, exactly. Yeah, I think that we can always keep updating them. Like if you look at in general, we like in the very like beginning when we had, you know, this edition of, oh, let's ask questions to see if people have ADHD. It was only combined presentation. You only had it for people hyperactive and inattentive mm -hmm. symptoms. Then in the next iteration, then they had, oh, no, there is separation between hyperactive and then inattentive and maybe one in the middle. And now they have kind of flushed it and, out. A and little they bit. created ADD in the DSM-4. They had ADD that is no longer, mm -hmm. uh, is no longer diagnosed because it, it no longer exists in the DSM. But they had exactly. ADD that was very specifically about inattention and not hyperactivity. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. And now so all doctors still say ADD. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do. It's still kind of stuck in terminology. Um, but yeah, I think as we keep on progressing, it's getting better. And like, I think it can only get better the more, again, the more research that's done and the more that we can tailor these questions to adults. Because again, a lot of them in the past only focused on, well, did you have these problems as a kid? And for a lot of people, like, Maybe you did, but maybe you also don't have that good a memory of when you were a child and you need to get like family or teachers to be able to say like, yes or no. And that's actually sometimes part of the diagnostic criteria are like, can you get other people to literally like corroborate your story as if we're lying about like, stuff? Vouch for you. 
Yeah, and I've always found that kind of weird. <laughs> um, but so I don't, I don't love that part of it. But I think um, in general, we because we're learning more about like either late diagnoses of women or just people in general, like 75% of people, I want to say with ADHD who are women, I want to like have had late diagnoses in the past like decade or two, just by increased awareness that makes them seek out these diagnoses. But it's like a crazy high percentage of people who are now realizing in their adulthood, oh my God, this is something I was doing and looking at. So at least looking at that trend, you can kind of be like, okay, well, it's good enough to at least catch a decent amount of people who might not have been diagnosed when they were children, um, which is always a plus. But I think in general, we're still lacking a lot more, I I guess, detail or a lot. I don't really know the best way to put that. Um, Being able to refine the questions a little bit more as as we continue learning, because I want to say what this last DSM-5 was a a few years ago. It's tw- yeah, 2014, it, I think. 2014, 20, yeah. And so I'm like, I think we're due for an update. It's been like 10 years. Yeah. What else have we learned, you know? So what what are things that you would add, you know, if you had the power tomorrow and they call you and they say, Leah, we want you to work on the DSM-6, what what would you add in the DSM? What, <laughs> what criteria, what diagnosis criteria, symptoms or whatever? I mean, I feel like for me, it's one rough because I didn't do any research in this area. But two, I think that we kind of have to take into account some way that while we have a lot of similarities with people with ADHD, whether that's just how we present or, um, you know, the similarities you get in demographics, um, I think we have to remember that it's very subjective. And I don't know the best way that we can try and capture that because there are overarching, you know, themes that you get with people. But even within the inattentive type, like some people just have different processing within that subtype of ADHD. And so I think before we can modify anything, we need to do a lot more with like kind of dissecting that a little bit more. Because I don't I don't even think it's cut and dry of you have inattentive ADHD and we know everything there is to know about you. It's like, maybe you have inattentive ADHD and, you know, kind of as you're saying, like maybe someone does like uh, process things visibly very well, like visual processing Mm -hmm. with reading. I am bad at reading and at listening to things. So school has been an absolute nightmare for me. (laughs) So I can't listen to lectures. How did you survive? I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. I <laughs> wish have that, people ask me that. How did you survive? How did people you get there? People ask me that a lot. Uh, yeah, no, people ask me that a lot. And they're like, oh, you must have, you know, had all these different th- like resources and coping mechanisms. And I'm like, I think I just woke up and like tried to get through the day most of the times because I really, it takes me forever to read things and understand them. It takes me forever to hear things and understand them. It was a lot of like, if I'm going to learn something, at least for me personally, with my type, I need someone one-on-one to sit down and talk me through something and like draw things out as they explain them to me. That it's helps a lot. So specific. And I'm like, oh, so even with things like that, I'm like, maybe even, I think that comes down to a, a you know societal understanding of things and then also making more resources available in school and in life. Um, like whether that's you're in corporate and you have a new job or you're getting through high school, like I think there was always a stigma at my institutions of like, oh, you need to go and see a tutor. You need to go and get learning resources or something like that. But I think that's 
kind of coming down in the in the nowadays hopefully um at least from what it was but i think making things like that more normalized um so that we can kind of have some equity in in learning and existing in life would be kind of the first step to <laughs> then being able to address all of the other things like help people get there first um and figure out what resources people actually need um so that we can continue making that accessible you know uh, have you have you struggled with you know what what we call, I think what social media calls executive dysfunction? The fact of you know just being stuck and completely paralyzed, even though you you know that you need to do something, you know exactly how to do it, you know exactly how much time it's going to take, you just can't bring yep. yourself to get up and do it. How, oh, yeah. how much did that paralyze you through your study and in your life? So much, <laughs> so much. Um, like I mean. Through, I think I experienced the most bliss, which is the worst way to say it, but like the most bliss in my academic life during the COVID pandemic, where it, everyone was not doing a lot of things. Horrible things were happening. Don't get me wrong. But like, as in actual sitting there being like, oh, I actually have all the time in the world. There is no pressure for me to get this done. I'm just bored and therefore I will get it done. That helped my executive function um, to actually work um because deadlines unless they're internally set by me are the worst thing for me to work towards because i will procrastinate up until that deadline um yeah, and, 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 and then so, you work on anxiety and it's it's a very yeah. bad kind of anxiety because it just destroys you completely for days it does and like talk about mental health when we sit there and you're like again you know everything why can't you do it you start going down that you know spiral of why why can't i do this why am i so dumb why am i so lazy and it like that's why people's mental health goes in the toilet with things like this and so yeah. There were many a times where the maybe like the one thing I needed to do that day was, you know, write this chapter of my thesis or something. And I'd put it off for days and then would get super stressed about it and then would be like, oh, crap, let me stay up super late and work, you know, 10 hours, 12 hours straight to get this done. Feel this sense of relief once it's done and have to do it all over again next week. Um, so oh, yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, I feel like most of us can relate to that, whether you are neurotypical or you have ADHD, like executive dysfunction is something I think people, you kind of universally experience at one point or another, but I think with ADHD, it's a cycle and it's very debilitating and the intensity of it is perhaps a bit more. Yeah. Um, about that the for the executive dysfunction part it's it can be really debilitating also to your self-esteem and i think this is also why a lot of people with adhd have a higher risk of having a burnout right mm -hmm. we're i think we're four times more likely to be in a burnout or something like that and yep. um, yeah <laughs> so uh, for me one of the things that was really horrible during academia uh, with ADHD was the constant deadlines that as soon as you finish something, you have the next thing that you have to work on and then the next thing. And, and you never seem to catch a break. And that was difficult because I never seemed to catch a break already in my everyday life. Right. And then, <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, you know, your brain is always super active and, and you mm -hmm. always have this, you know, you have to do the laundry and you have to do the dishes and you have to do this. So you're constantly just pressuring yourself to do these things and, and, mm -hmm. and working basically on guilt and anxiety and stress and self-loathing. Uh, so what is, in your opinion, one of the biggest adaptations that one could have in, in, the, works, in the workplace or in academia? Because th those can be a bit different. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, so I remember coming up, actually talking with my advisor at one point saying that I was stressed out about, you know, oh, we had this deadline. I just finished it, but I have 12 other things to do. Like kind of just asking, how do I prioritize this? How do I get this done? I don't feel like I can do this well. And she, she completely responded to me in a way that was not helpful to me and just said like, you just need to learn how to deal with it because this is life. And you know, you're always going to have more things to do. And I'm like, you're the least helpful person I have ever talked to. <laughs> like, yeah, that, dear, that oh, this out. is life. Oh no, it's life. I just have to learn how to deal with it. And I think that's kind of like the offhanded thing that we get a lot from people oh who God. are in older generations who are currently in positions of power. It's like, you're just not strong enough to deal with it. We were strong enough to deal with it. We've adapted and you just can't do it. Um, yeah, and they, they really I haven't. Hate, I hate they that really narrative haven't. so much. Oh my I've, God. I've seen professors burn down, burn out and completely crash down because exactly they couldn't handle it and they they are not with adhd or whatever it's i mean mm -hmm. no you cannot handle it it's not a thing it's yeah you're actually not doing as well as you think um so i think in general like and again I, this might just be a societal thing and i i genuinely hope for this it is work-life balance it is being able to not like actually kind of compartmentalize, okay, I have this thing at work I need to get done. I'm not going home and I'm not working on it at home. Um, like when I go home, I clock out and I'm done and I don't have to think about work things, but also making sure that whatever your job is, is letting you have that work-life balance. Like the expectations need to be different um, yep. because I just, the 40 hour work week in itself is a whole other rant, but like, when you don't give people time to like actually take care of themselves and to reset, um, yeah. you're, you're just fueling the burnout, you know, whereas you oh, see yeah. that these companies that do give either better benefits or more time off, or they have like, Hey, you know, Friday, you're out by six, go enjoy your life. Those employees are not only performing better because they're happier, but like they're actually, you build a bit of like loyalty with your company and with your employees yep. because they know that you care about them and they want to give a good product to the company, like kind of in that symbiotic way. Um, yep. And I think a lot now, at least, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this too, but a lot of, you know, younger employees who are now going into the workspace are very much doing this like yeah, no, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to work this hard for this amount of pay, or I'm not going to sacrifice myself for this job that doesn't give me anything in return. And I think Which it's is super healthy, in my it's opinion. So healthy. I love that. And I'm like, keep doing that because I want to still be working and be a part of that. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love the new generation so much. <laughs> oh, my God. I love them. I'm like, please, like, I don't want to put the pressure on y'all to fix everything that everyone else messed up. Like, we're there rooting for you and here to support you. But like, it's uh, it's so reassuring to see that they're loud and they're angry, honestly, and that they are not backing down from anything. Like they have set their boundaries and their expectations, and it's, it's very amazing. Cool to see. It's just it's beautiful to see when that happens, uh, because I, I think you you know you're a millennial as well, right? So we've been in a cusp, we've been, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're in kind of those weird years where we yeah. don't really know, but. Uh, we've been brought up with the idea that if you work hard, then you'll be rewarded. And uh, we've had to find out that that was not actually the case. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, 
and and the gen z is just coming now and 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 they're not giving a crap about any of this and they're just like okay i'm not you know i'm just going yeah. to go ahead and fight for my rights and that's it and i think that's beautiful to see it's just it's beautiful Absolutely. we don't have the energy to do the same but you know god bless you because <laughs> we're burnt out yeah <laughs> exactly um, about you know all of that and burnout and academia. Uh, what are you going to do after your doctorate? Because now you're officially a doctor. Uh, do you have any plans right now, or yes. you know, vacation? <laughs> I mean, right now I'm on a vacation, which is pretty nice. Um, so yeah, I haven't taken a break, ev honestly, ever. So I've like I went straight from high school to undergrad to PhD to now, and I'm like, no, nope, I'm gonna sit and chill for Same. a little bit. Uh, yeah, no, I love this for us. Um, but I do. So I uh, interviewed earlier this spring. I'm starting a, actually a corporate job, which will be kind of fun. Um, but I'm going into life sciences consulting. Um, so more on the transition of like science into business and basically helping business people understand science because it's usually out of their wheelhouse of what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what what so, motivated you to go into, you know, a more corporate job instead of pursuing a postdoc and doing the whole shebang and become, you know, a professor and then sell your Nobel academia, Prize? I because... that's what. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, it was for me. Yeah, it, it really was. I found out actually, my story is kind of fun. So I found out in my first year of grad school of my PhD program, I was like, I hate this. I absolutely hate this. I hate research. I'm interested by science, but this is, I don't like this life for me. <laughs> um, what, what, what about it? Um, I think it was mainly, I, I need short-term uh, reinfor reinforcement, encouragement that things are okay and that, you know, you're not just going to fail at an experiment over and over and over again and then have to start something new after wasting three years of your life. Um, so I'm really for me, so was, hard right now. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. And it's like, you try all these new things, they still don't work. And they're like, well, that's just science. I'm like, okay, I hate science. Then. <laughs> Screw this. Um, I've had that <laughs> horrible. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, for me, I was like, no, it's the grueling hours. It's these expectations that I'm going to sit in lab for like 12 hours and do nothing, but stay there just so it looks like I'm a present member of the lab. Um, so I was, I wasn't into all that. And I actually thought like I would finish my qualifying exam sort of thing, um, that you have to do in your second year. And then I would get my terminal masters. Like I would leave with a master's degree. I wouldn't finish my doctorate and at least I've done something in the two years. I got a degree for free. Love that. And I was actually going to go to culinary school. I was <laughs> looking very intensely I want it. I've always loved cooking. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. It's late, but screw it. You only live once. Let me uh, learn how to be a chef. And that was exactly when COVID happened. And it uh, was... Because you're the, the ADHD person with a thousand different hobbies, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what... And then it was COVID. And then it was, uh, okay, so you can either stay in your PhD program and have a stable income, or you can leave, try to go into cooking when all of the restaurants everywhere are closed because of this horrible pandemic we're experiencing. And I was like, yeah. I guess I'll take the stability. Um, yeah. And so that's the Fair. only reason I have my doctorate, honestly. Well, um, at least you have one now. At least I have one now, which is pretty cool, I guess. Um, but from that, it was actually during that we have like a student consulting group that my friend had always said, like, 
I really love doing this and you should try it. And I was like, the hell is consulting? Like, what is this? It's like, what do you do? And she's like, we consult. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> but like through that, I got involved in uh, the group that I'm a part of and, you know, just started doing it and realized I really like the work. I like slide design. I like having research questions that are very succinct, like find the markets, estimate a market size. I'm like, well, that's easy. There's a process you do to do that. It's a lot more clean cut with, you know, the tasks you need to get done, how you get those tasks done. Um, I also liked interfacing with people more often, like talking to clients, talking to my team, um, feeling a little bit less isolated. So uh, then it was pretty much like, I think I could do this as a career. I, I really like this and then applied and thank God they hired Sweet. me because it was really rough this past year. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, but That's I amazing. Like There's May. a silver lining, which leads me to my next question, which is sure. uh, instead of, you know, making your life a living hell, the, did your ADHD help you in any way at some point during your PhD, during your research? Uh, uh, was it maybe that that made you motivated to do a, a PhD? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, um, I would say that I don't think that my ADHD super helped me with anything relating to let me get this work done. Um, I, I think for me, it was mostly debilitating. Um, and that's just my own experience. I was like, oh, no, it's fair. But um, I will say that I think the best thing it ever did was like the diagnosis just helped me not hate myself uh, and helped me not, you know, think of myself so negatively and to yeah. give myself grace. Um, and having an explanation for everything was really like, it, it was such a weight off my shoulders, which I think a lot of people like relate to. It's like, oh, I'm not stupid. I'm not lazy. I just function a little differently. And unfortunately, world's not super accommodating to that, but we can work around it. We have answers um, now instead of just being like, why can't I do something? I'm like, oh, my brain's just being stupid today. Let me go and like fix that real quick, you know? <laughs> and so I, I've had some, some people that ask me, you know, that they, they have ADHD and they want to get into academia. They want to do research because of course it would be amazing to have more ADHD researchers specifically on, on ADHD because there's still a lot of bias from people mm -hmm. who do the research. Yeah. Uh, but what what advice would you give to these people that are about to go into academia and to do this amazing thing called the PhD? <laughs> we yeah. both love so well, very, very much. I would say, uh, yeah, no, me entering even into my PhD was peak impulsive behavior of let me just do this. Uh, so first off, if you know, you know, you want to do this. Amazing. Make sure that is true for you first. Second, and it's not just like a, a fun hobby you're picking up because it is a long time. Um, yeah. But I agree. I think that having more ADHD researchers who have ADHD is would immensely help um, either the way that things are even written or reported about or the studies that are being designed. Um, I think the best thing that I, I mean, if you're doing a PhD, I assume you're at some sort of accredited university of some sort um, yeah. is trying to help yourself the best you can. Like, I think we are, again, very critical of ourselves. We're introspective of ourselves yeah. and how we manage different things. And so take what you know about yourself and use whatever health resources that are available to you at your institution, if any, um, and continuing to be like, yeah, can I get a therapist or can I see about getting a formal diagnosis if you're not sure, um, using any sort of 
helpful learning resources sort of things, in addition to whatever coping mechanisms you may have developed or that work for you, you know, but I think at its core, like, one, making sure it's what you actually want to do. And two, like, knowing that even though people have an idea of who, who you are, um, based off of your diagnosis, it doesn't mean that it's true. It's also very fun to prove people wrong. Um, and mm. I love doing that every single day. Um, but like it, it's not something that is going to make you getting a degree impossible. It's very possible. You and I did it. Like you, you can yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. It takes, it takes work, possible, but it's just yeah. so hard sometimes. It right? is it's so how, hard how to avoid falling into the, 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 the pitfall of burnout and of all of that. It's how, how to get a PhD, I guess, without mm -hmm. the really bad stuff. Without the really bad stuff. Yeah. And I think that one of the best things that, I mean, not everyone has, but should have is just that support system. Like, truthfully, through all of this, couldn't have done this without Philip. Very, very lucky to have another person who cared about me, who listened to me and didn't invalidate me when I was like, I think I'm struggling with this. And he wasn't like, everyone feels that way. He's like, that doesn't seem right. Maybe you should I've go. I've had the and same. I've had the right? same. My, my, my partner yeah. is also ADHD uh, very much more strongly than me. So there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot of understanding there. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, the support is even just like the validation before, you know, it's yeah. always, it's always really great. Um, but I think for me also something that helped, um, besides, you know, copious reminders and calendars and all medication. of the, all the tech. Yeah. And medication, <laughs> you know, if you're lucky enough to get it, um, was really like trying to even make my home life more easy for me. Um, because, you know, sometimes you get home and you don't want to clean. You don't want to do laundry. You don't want to spend your entire Sunday cleaning and resetting your house, even though everyone loves the Sunday reset crap. Um, that's not necessarily accessible for people like us. And so no, like an easy thing really. that, right? And like a very easy thing that I did was like, instead of cleaning my entire house on one day, I would clean one thing, maybe every two days. And so yeah. like on one day, the only thing I have to do is clean my bathroom. And that's it. And I don't clean anything else, but everything is still maintained so that my living environment isn't contributing to bad mental health and, you know, starting that spiral again. So it's little things and breaking them down to make it more easy for you to exist both at your work and then, you know, in your home yeah. life as well. I, I've heard something from, you know, a psychologist. Uh, he's on TikTok as well. I think it's Alex Hogg on TikTok. And um, I think it was him. He said that a lot of people with ADHD hold themselves to the standard of who they are in their best days. Right. But forgetting they have bad days, right? And um, building up on what you said, I would say that, you know, forgiveness and acceptance of yourself and of your limitations is something that is extremely important in not being burned out. Because as you said, we, we are not the kind of people that can clean our house every week completely. It's just not going to happen. And instead, if you try to do that, and fail and you set yourself up for that kind of failure instead you're lowering your self-esteem you're increasing your anxiety you're guilt tripping yourself just for free so just accepting that something that is not going to happen is so freeing and it gave me back so much energy that i think was the single best thing that happened from my diagnosis that i just accepted that some things were not going to happen and that was okay mm -hmm. absolutely um, and it's hard yeah it's hard. It's, it's so much easier hard. said than done because you're like, oh, I can do that. And you're like, nope, because you're when you, you're sitting in that bed and you're like, oh, my God, the weight of the world. I have to do like four, four things today or like I can't do anything because I have an appointment at two. 
and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah. You can't do anything leading up to that appointment at 2 p.m. because you have to backtrack all the things you have to do and then you don't do any yeah. of them. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a it's just such a great way to, to put that. You just have to accept that there are some things that you're not going to be able to do, but you can always work around them if if you really need to. or You can find ways to make them doable for you so that they're still yeah. attainable if you want. And also something else uh, you mentioned is that COVID was an amazing time for you because you had the time to get bored. Yeah. And no, I mean, you know, not, not in a bad way, of course, it was not a great time for yeah. everyone, but you had the time to get bored. You had the time to just let your mind wander and do its thing. And so mm -hmm. when you wanted to get up to actually do stuff, your brain would answer to you because you had the kind of downtime that you would allow yourself to have. Mm -hmm. right so exactly and and this is something that i found as well that i've stopped doing uh midway through my phd because there was all the deadlines and the pressure and the experiments not working and all of that um i was two years in my phd and had no results it was just high anxiety all the time but at mm -hmm. the beginning i would you know work really work be at the computer and do stuff four hours a day and the other four hours i would do what i call background processing just give myself the time to be bored and I I think I never was as productive as I was during that time because I would mm -hmm. allow myself to get bored. Interesting. <laughs> we we you know we with ADHD we flee from boredom because it's very painful for us, but it's also so necessary to mm -hmm. us for for us to have the energy to do stuff later on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, no, and I'm feeling a little bit of that now, honestly, where I'm like, I think it's funny if you look at any of my social media things, I'm posting a lot less because I'm sitting around and like, I d social media was always like, a, oh my God, I kind of have to procrastinate and get things done. Let me instead make fun videos on the internet. And now I'm like, I don't actually have anything to get done. It's mostly just if I wanted to do social media, I have so much time to do it and I can't bring myself to do it. And I'm just like, because it's the only thing I have to, I need to sit and do, find something else to do. So I'm learning how to crochet right now. And that's how I'm spending my time. <laughs> that's amazing. Again, with a thousand hobbies, right? Yeah. So um, we've been going on, you know, for a while with all of this. And um, I wanted to ask you, are there, you know, any, any closing remarks, any things that you'd like to say about how to better advocate for ADHD, about how to better integrate people with ADHD into academia and into research? Any, yeah. you know, any thoughts about all of that? Um, I think in general, um, for me, at least for anyone listening, who's like, oh, I'm not sure if I have it or not, or is maybe facing that same kind of fear that we both described of like, what if I get diagnosed or what if I go to get diagnosed and I don't, um, just do it. Just, if you can, it's horrible because it takes such a long amount of time and there is a financial barrier for a lot of people. But if it is something that is accessible to you and you could start the process of, which is again, that daunting thing that we suck at is starting something. Um, if you have the energy one day, do it. It's, it's so much better to know rather than to keep on living with this. Oh my God, I have no idea what's going on. And maybe it's ADHD. Maybe it's not, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's autism. Maybe it's just depression. Maybe you just need some other types of support, but like going and taking that first step is just so important, um, for your own sanity. And I think at least a lot of people that I've also talked to with ADHD, like the diagnosis is a relief. Um, and I, I yeah. hope that that is something that other people can, you know, cling on to. But as far as academia and research are concerned, like, I think 
some of the best things that we can do, whether you are interested in going into academia, um, you're just curious about ADHD, or maybe neither of the above, is to listen to people who have ADHD, like kind of deconstruct your own biases, because I mean, I still have a lot of internal biases about it. Um, and I have it, you know, so um, like, listen to other people, hear other people's stories, get interested, like, maybe you don't have all of the academic prowess to be able to understand an entire article talking about, you know, the different neurology behind it, but you can read review articles that are meant to be more accessible, like, the information yeah. is out there. And the more that we interact with it, and we talk with it, uh, just the better the field is going to be and the more understanding we're going to have as a society. I, I love everything that you said. I would just add, uh, you know, if it's not ADHD and it's something else, like you said, do not go out of the doctor's office without an answer because yes. people don't go to the doctor out of fun. People go yeah, to no. the doctor because, yeah, I mean, you're in the US, so there's also yeah, another worse. whole question of cost here. We have free healthcare, but the wait times are very, very long. But generally, people don't go to the doctor out of fun. They, we go mm -hmm. to the doctor because there's something wrong. So if it's not ADHD, keep looking and don't go out of the doctor's office without an answer or without further tests or a referral of some sorts. Because Absolutely. it's if you feel bad, it's not nothing. Yeah, I right. agree. Yeah, whatever people are experiencing, like, I think that's one of the other things too, is like just whatever you're experiencing, if it is really this debilitating and it's this negative and it's impacting you so regularly, that is not normal. And like, it, that's something that hopefully we either have answers to, or you can gain more insight into yourself and how to, you know, better that situation. So completely agree, advocate for yourself. Yeah. And even if it's nothing, uh, which is something that I, I like to remind, even if it's nothing, hypochondria is a very real condition as well. <laughs> so if that you go to the doctor thinking you have stuff, but you have nothing, you might still have hypochondria. So. You might still have something. <laughs> exactly. So we don't go to the doctor because we have nothing. Just yes. uh, uh, that reminder. All right. Love so um, if you want you know, you know, to share more stuff, where, where can people find you on social media? Where, is, where would you like people to find you on social media? Because maybe you opened recently a YouTube channel about crochet or something that you'd like more <laughs> people to follow. So where... Uh, where yeah, absolutely. Um, I think right now where I'm actually more active is on Instagram. Um, so that's right. just, you know, at Leah Malay or Mel probably is the easiest way to spell that. Uh, yeah. Um, but I have the same handle across, you know, Instagram and TikTok. Again, not posting there super regularly. But of course, because I am picking up new hobbies uh, all the time, I kind of want to start some sort of not like a blogger in a sense of like, here's my personal life. But like, I feel like there's a lot of things I love being able to share, whether it's ADHD or just general like coping mechanisms or things that made my life easier, kind of in a written form um, that I have no idea what it's going to become or if it'll even be a thing because, you know, we start things and we never finish them. Um, yeah, we forget but... them. We forget them, uh, we become excited, and then we forget them. But if that ever does happen, Instagram will be the first to know about it. <laughs> okay, so Instagram, uh, Leah Mel, Mele, Mel, that, I'm butchering sure. your name again, just for free. Um, all <laughs> right, so excellent, excellent. We're going to, you know, wrap this up. And uh, to everyone who's been listening, or who will be listening, because right now no one else is listening, thank you very much. And, you know, we're hoping to see you on next episodes.